This year, our theme, as you know by now, is uh, to keep our eyes on Jesus. And that comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It's really easy in our world to become quickly distracted, to take our eyes and our hearts and our minds as Christians off of where it needs to be. And so our goal with this theme is to help recenter us and keep us focused where our heart, soul, mind, and strength needs to be focused. As we think about that, I want to tell you a little bit about something I've been doing for 40 years of my life. Since about age five, thereabouts, I have been going to the optometrist. 40 years, I was thinking about the other day, I've been seeing that my same, the optometrist I've been seeing has been 35 years of that. He's getting ready to retire. Um, And so I've been seeing Tom McCarthy for a long time, for decades now. And it occurred to me that going to the optometrist's office is never a pleasant experience. I mean, they try to, they trick you into kind of making that it's going to be okay. Uh, But you know what happens when you get back there. Uh, They've got these interesting, uh, I'll call them torture devices. Uh, You know, just want you to, Mr. Lover, just just look at that picture. Just put your face right up there, and you're you're looking at the picture, and all of a sudden, you get this puff of air right in your eye. Uh, And then you're traumatized from that, and they say, okay, now we want you to open your eyes really, really big, and the brightest light you've ever seen in your life takes a picture of your eyeball. Um, And then you can't see, and they say, we're going to put these drops in your eyes, And your pupils are going to open so big, you will not be able to see anything else the rest of the day. Now, why do they make you go through all of that? What's the purpose? Well, of course, we understand that the purpose is to help us with our vision, to make sure that our eyes are healthy, that they're where they need to be. And and as I think about the number of times I've gone to my optometrist, though it's a painful process... The goal is to help increase my spiritual, my, my vision. And so this morning we're talking about our spiritual vision, and that's what we want to think about and talk about this morning as we kind of focus on that. So our scripture for this series has been Hebrews chapter 12. You know what I'm going to tell you next. Go ahead and stand up. If you haven't had the opportunity to stand up, we're going to stand up together as we read our key text from Hebrews chapter 12 Together, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, reads as follows. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we think about our spiritual vision, there are several things that we can do and must do to keep it in the right direction, keep our spiritual vision uh, to its appropriate level. The first is, we've got to stay focused on Jesus. The writer says we must fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. To fix means to, to really set your focus. You're looking at one thing and everything else sort of glo- grows blurry because you're focused so much on that one thing. Okay, the writer of Hebrews calls us for Christians to be people who have a fixed vision, a focused vision, who are looking in the right direction. 
Now, this sounds good, but it's really hard, especially in today's world. Our world is so hyper-distracted. We've got so many things that keep us from focusing properly. If you think biblically, back to a time before our world, Peter, the apostle, was the only other human being to walk on the water besides the Lord himself. He walked on the water. I'm sure that was a life-changing moment for him. I I know he never forgot it. I'm sure he told countless numbers of people about that experience. But in walking on the water, what sunk Peter was the moment when he took his focus off of his Savior and instead onto the storm. And I was thinking about that, that it's so easy to get distracted. We can pick on Peter, but my goodness, have you ever been distracted? Have you ever gotten distracted by yourself or your sin or your struggles? It's easy to do. We all get there at some point. And even if you're not in a place of distraction, we live in a world that is designed to distract us all the time. News stories, social media, uh, streaming entertainment, sports, uh, all of that, and it's never more than a click away. It's right here, and, and these machines are designed to keep our attention They have experts that study how to keep you here and here instead of any other place. I found some data about the amount of uh, the level of distraction in our world. The average worker sends 40 emails per day and receives 121 emails per day. Um, By the way, I don't receive that many currently because... The Northside email system is completely busted. So if you if you have sent something to the office or to me and didn't get a reply, please don't think me rude. Uh, just text me or find me and say, "Hey, I, I sent you something." Um, the average worker spends about fifteen and a half hours each week just dealing with those said emails. The average person spends at least two hours and twenty four minutes each day on social media. The average American checks their mobile device 159 times a day. I was told you that last week about my screen time goes off during on Sunday for whatever reason. It always tells me how many hours I've been on the phone. And, and today when it went off, I was looking a little more into it. It'll tell you how much time you've spent on the various apps how many times you picked up the phone, what your average was for the day or for the week. It's, it's unsettling is what it is. Users will spend roughly 4 trillion, 4 trillion hours just on social media this year. So when we think about how, when we think about staying focused on Jesus, that sounds good, but we live in a hyper-distracted world. And our collective attention span has dramatically de- declined. In fact, I was looking up a study that said back in 2000, I don't know how they measure this precisely, but the average attention span was 12 seconds. 
which means that in a, in, somebody's distracted right there. Um, somebody has, in an average sermon, 150 points of distraction. And I see that every week. I know not all of you are intentionally looking down. I, I know you're not praying. I get that, okay? Now, now that sounds bad, but then they did the same study 13 years later, and they found that our attention span had dropped to eight seconds, which means that during average 30-minute sermon, you are potentially distracted 225 times. Now, that, that may seem like, oh, okay, well, we get that. We're all distracted. It's not so terrible. I mean, okay. Until you realize that the average attention span for a goldfish is nine seconds. <laughs> a goldfish is 10% more focused than you are. Is that weird? To me, that's unsettling. Basically, we are, we are goldfish with caffeine and smartphones. And so you see, my challenge, the challenge for any preacher or teacher in a world that is so distracted. Being distracted makes us less attentive to our relationships. Think about your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children. Those are just the, those are the core ones. But think about how many times... I've done this too. I'm just as guilty as most of you are. That, that you wake up in the morning with the alarm on your phone and you reach over and instead of spending time with your creator, you instantly get sucked into the vortex of your phone. Married couples, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you, the, the, the core communication between husband and wife is now sending memes and reels to each other? sitting on the same couch or lying on the same bed in two completely different worlds. Think of the impact on our children as, as they are given digital distraction at ages four, five, six, and younger. What does this do to us? How does this affect us? It makes us less attentive to our relationships. It certainly makes us less productive in our work and in, in, in the life that God gave us. We're less present with people. We, our brains are trained to get that dopamine fix every eight or nine seconds. Try having a conversation with someone and look how long they can, you can hold their attention. It's not very long. It, it makes us less effective because we try to do everything. We think that we can multitask, but I'm telling you, multitasking is a myth. The human brain was not designed to, to run in that function. But what do we do with that? I mean, how, are we, am I going to change society? Are we going to all become Luddites and go Amish? Or what, what, what's the plan here? How are we going to address this problem? And I go back to what the scripture says to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means we keep Christ at the center. He, he is the focal point of our life. 
And when we keep our eyes fixed on him and our hearts fixed on him and our minds fixed on him, everything else gets kind of blurry. It's the old song. The, stra- the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus not only becomes the focal point, he becomes the lens by which we view everything else. We begin to view our marriage and our children, and we begin to view our work, and we begin to view our relationships through the singular lens of Christ Jesus. As I view it, the only cure to distraction is intentional stillness. The scriptures tell us that Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years. Three of those years were intentional, purposeful ministry. Now, in three years, just think about how fast three years go by. Jeff, remember how how fast three years goes by in ministry? Super fast. Think about how much Jesus had to do in three short years, in a time where he couldn't communicate instantly, where everywhere he had to go, he had to walk. Think about how intentional he had to be. And think how, how much the devil threw at him, not just in temptation, but, but the devil threw at Jesus' popularity. He gave him crowds to deal with and problems and issues and, and, and all of the stuff when it comes with people. And this is why the scripture tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus was keeping his focus on his Father. He was being intentionally and purposefully still. So let's try this. Do me a favor this morning. Um, If you've got coffee with you, take one last sip. Now I want you to take your phone... Some of you aren't familiar, but there's a button on the right-hand side that turns it off. Just hold that down. And I'm serious, please, turn off your phone. I'll do the same thing. No texting me during the sermon. Okay. Phones are off. Now what's going to happen is, over the next period of, of worship, you're going to want to reach for it. You've been trained to look at it, to focus on it. Okay, so the phones are off. I'm going to ask you to do this, a second thing. I want you to close your eyes. Some of you were there minutes ago. I appreciate it. Close your eyes, please. Just practice for a moment being still. Father God, as your children, we confess to you that we are so distracted. We confess to you that we've given what little time and attention we do have to lesser things. Lord, even in here, in this moment, in this time, sometimes forgive us 
for we feel rushed and distracted and displaced. Father, as we attempt to still ourselves, I would ask that the Holy Spirit would do something that only the Holy Spirit can do to quiet our minds and to still our anxious thoughts and worries. To help us sink into the stillness of just being in your presence. Lord, it's, it's good to be in your presence. Lord, thank you for the example of your son who, who often practiced withdrawing to focus. Lord, as we quiet ourselves, it's easy to hear all the other noise that maybe we didn't hear before. Father, won't you help us as your people to practice quieting ourselves? That we might hear you in ways we haven't before. And Father, as we continue to worship you, I pray that your peace, which passes all earthly understanding, be upon our hearts. Help us to focus which is so hard to do in a, in a world that's so distracted. Father, we know you are patient with us and that you love us and that you understand how quickly and easily we are distracted. Draw us back to you, Father, again and again. We praise you, Father. And we pray that from a still, quiet heart, we might give you the worship that you are due. Draw near to us, Father, as we draw near to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I want you to hold on to the stillness. And to do that, I've asked Brother Charles to lead us in a song. And I want to encourage you to try to keep yourself still. And to focus on the Lord. Charles. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I Red.
The devil has made it his business to monopolize three areas of our lives, three elements. Noise, hurry, and crowds. He will not allow quietness of the soul. He needs noise and hurry and crowds to more effectively distract us. So as we keep our focus on Jesus, the scripture goes on to say this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, as we focus on him, he becomes the standard for life and for dying to ourselves. Jesus died for us, and he taught us how to die to us. And so if we focus on Jesus in the Gospels, as we read through again and again the accounts of the details of his life on earth, we come to these conclusions. If he chose God's will over his own, then we can too. If he was hated by the world then we should not be surprised when we are. If he suffered, you can expect to suffer. If he endured his cross, you can endure yours. If he prayed for his enemies, you can pray for yours. If he died for you, then you can die to you. I would say that there's just, there's just one way to think of it. For me, it's two words, get low. If you're following along in your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. This is a great uh, reminder for all of us who are followers of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So may we keep the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, as our model of how to die to ourselves. Third, may we walk as he would have walked. Some of you are following along in your Bibles, and I appreciate those of you who are. First John chapter 2 is where I'm going to point you to. First John chapter 2, while I finish reading out Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. First John 2, 6 says, Whoever claims... To live in him, that's Christ, must live as Jesus did. 
One translation says, must walk as Jesus did. So we're called to walk like Jesus walked. And we can look at how he walked toward the cross. We can look at how he walked in his life. We can look at how he walked at any point and find an example for us. You can see an example of how to walk at school, how to walk in your work, how to walk at home. You, you can see an example of how to walk in your marriage. And you say, well, Jesus wasn't married. That's true. But, but Ephesians 5 points out that husbands, if you want to be a better husband, you're going to love your bride just like Christ loved the church. And wives, if you want to be a better wife, you're going to submit to your husband as Christ submitted himself. We are called in our relationships to walk like Jesus. In your entertainment to walk like Jesus. Would you be okay with Jesus sitting beside you watching what you're watching on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime? Would you be okay with that? It's a good question to, again, view Jesus as the lens through which we view everything else. How you act and behave on social media, the things that you post, and so on and so forth. So we're called to walk as Jesus walked. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he, these were writing to Christians who had likely not seen the actual incarnate Jesus, but had only heard testimonies about him. And so Paul does something interesting in 1 Corinthians 11.1. He gives them a model to follow. He says, you follow my example, 1 Corinthians 11.1, as I follow the example of Christ. ESV says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Well, that is a high standard, but it's a good one. It reminds us that we... We do what Jesus calls us to do. We, we listen to what he says. Uh, how many of you have played Simon Says? Okay, yeah, that's a simple childhood game. Okay, so it's like Simon Says, raise your left hand. Simon Says, raise your left hand. See, some of you never played Simon Says. Simon Says, raise your left hand. Simon Says, raise your right hand. Now, the lesson is, the game is, you're raising your hands because Simon says. Okay, put him down. Ah, gotcha. Someone, see, Simon didn't say. The point is, in our distracted world, when we forget what Jesus says, it's easy to forget what Jesus says. We don't act until he calls us to act. We don't listen to anyone else except him. So instead of Simon says, it's Savior says, which I like that, but it, it's really not a game. It's what discipleship's all about. So how can we do this? Well, we've got a lot of suggestions and we're going to go through them quickly. Number one, I think it's important to remove distractions. We got so many distractions and I'm not going to, I don't know what your distractions are, but I do know this, you know what they are. You absolutely do. You can look at your phone and it'll tell you what apps are distracting you most. Uh, you, can, you can be honest about the social media that you participate in, the entertainment that you watch, all of that. And you've got to find those things. And this is the hardest thing in the world, but you have to, to remove those things which distract you most. 
that you might focus on him. You can't stay focused if you're constantly distracted. Number two, we need to spend more time in prayer. A regular and sincere prayer is what Jesus did to stay focused. He did it so much that his own disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us. To, we see you doing that so much. Teach. He's not talking about leading a prayer before the, a whole congregation as Justin did. He's talking about a private, personal, faithful prayer life that Jesus had. Number three, consistent worship. And this is one that's we've got to speak to. We have increasingly in our world a deprioritization of worship. Well, there's always next Sunday. Well, I've got, you know, other things. You know, the kids' sports. They, they really, they're not going to make all-star if they don't get to practice on Sunday. I'm sorry that that's the world you live in. But Jesus called us to seek first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the other things would work themselves out. We've had some world-class athletes here at Northside who grew up in these pews, but whose parents were faithful enough to say, if there's practice on Sunday, we won't be there. And they did okay. Because they stood for something that mattered, for something that's eternal in nature. But that's not just picking on athletes. We're in a whole world now that's constantly saying there are many more things that we can do besides worship. The world calls Sunday fun day. Sunday fun day. I just do what I want. I just chill out. It's just a me day. And I can't think of anything that offends God more than on the first day of the week to put yourself first instead of putting God first. Now, I'm not preaching to you. You all are here. You're like, hey, I'm here. I'm here. I get it. But let me gently remind you to be consistent in it. These books that we pass, you know, we, we actually have data. We can look at how many people are here faithfully, consistently, and those who we see every six months. That's not to put any judgment on anyone. What I'm saying is what we're seeing is a growth in the area of decreasing attendance toward worship. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing for our souls. Jesus said, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Number four, may we find fellowship. We need to find ways to connect with other Christians. That's here. That's in the life of the body, whether it's serving other people or coming on Wednesday nights to fast food fellowship or being a part of the youth group or your class. But, but those things are not just busy work. We need to find connections with other Christians. In an increasingly isolated world, I'm willing to bet that there are, are people in these pews this morning who say, I'm here, but I don't feel a connection to anyone here. Well, my question is, why don't you lean into that? Why don't you stay an extra five or ten minutes? After the final amen, why don't you meet the people to your left or right to the front of you? Lean into that a little more. Do some things. Ladies, there's coming up some ladies' classes on Tuesday and Wednesday. 
Start going to go to women's conference. Find opportunities to connect, which is what we so need in a in a world that's so isolated. Number five, may you practice gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances. And this helps us to remember not only Jesus' presence, but his provision to us. Number six, Bible reading. And we still got some Bible reading plans, and I hope you're doing either that plan or some plan. But it's so important to remember, what what does the Savior say? And may we read it so that we might obey it. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But more than Bible reading... But you've got to have Bible reading, but you also have number seven, which is Bible doing. Okay? The Word doesn't do anything by itself. It has to plant into our hearts so that we might take action. And that's an important thing. So, when we think about all those things, you've got many opportunities to help yourself get more focused on Him. And I hope that you'll take that opportunity to do so. So what we're going to do right now is I'm going to offer you two invitations. One first, one second. We're going to transition to a time of focus on him. That's why I love that worship, within our context, every week we have a specific time to, to sit at the, his table and to focus on him and to remember him and to do so with minimal distraction. To do so in a context... I. I, I, there's, there's, if, unless I allow it, I can quiet myself and still myself and close my eyes and spend time in prayer and draw near to Jesus. And we invite you to do that here in just a moment. And we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper as we do each week. And we're going to offer you a second invitation to obey the gospel after we finish partaking at the table. So let's... Enter into a time of remembrance, enter into a time of thinking about Jesus and his sacrifice. Please join us.